0: Romans chapter 12. As I said last week, we've kind of moved from the doctrinal chapters of Romans and we're moving into the very, very practical chapter of Romans. Uh, In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul told us some very important doctrinal issues. He told us who we were as lost sinners. He told us who God is. He told us all that God has done for us as believers he told us how we can come to a relationship with god through faith in jesus christ and then in the first two verses of chapter 12 last week we saw the apostle paul tell us that in light of all that god has done for us all of that we receive in him and all these done for you and for me it's only reasonable that we should offer our lives back to him what we're receiving is so tremendous it's only reasonable you say all right lord i'll give you my life back in fact Paul says it's your reasonable service. That's how it, That's what it says in, in Romans chapter 12. And to do this, he tells us we have to not allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. And we talked about how the world is trying to press in. The world is trying to change us. The world is trying to manipulate us and lead us in a certain direction. And if you don't believe that, take a look at all the advertising. Take a look at the news and you'll find out they are trying to form everybody into one rather the same type of person and just going in the direction no one going against it and they're trying to do that and Paul says don't allow yourselves to be conformed to the world but he said to do that you must change the way that you think you must renew your mind and this is a constant thing you have to constantly be renewing your mind and and re, and putting back in your mind what God's word says about things not just what the world says about things not what the culture says not what's relevant but it's what does God's word say that now as we come to chapter 3 or verse chapter 12 verse 3 of chapter 12 Paul's going to tell us what it looks like as a believer when they offer themselves back to the Lord. What does it really look like? How does it, you know, because it's easy to say, well, offer yourself as a sacrifice to God. That's great, and that's good terminology, but what does that really mean? Well, Paul's going to tell us that as we continue studying here. So in chapter 12, verse 3, follow along. I'm going to read down to verse 8. That's the, that's the scripture we're going to cover this morning. So I'll start in chapter 3. Of, cha- I keep saying chapter 3. Verse 3 of chapter 12, and we'll read down to verse 8. In verses 6 through 8, Paul's going to discuss some of the gifts that were given by the Lord. And before he does, he gives us a warning. There's a warning that takes place in verse 3. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Who's that to? To everyone. Who does everyone mean? Everyone who is among us. So this is for all of you this morning. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. First and foremost, Paul said, you'd better not be too proud about your life. You better not be too proud about the things that God has given you because he's the one that's given them to you. You you better not let it creep in. Whenever you start talking about gifts of the Lord, and some people refer to this area as gifts of the Spirit, but you'll notice the word Spirit isn't really mentioned here in this passage. It's just referring to gifts from the Lord. Whenever you start talking about gifts from the Lord, it becomes a very rich breeding ground for pride. People want to draw attention to themselves. They want you to look at me. Look what I can do. Look what God's doing. Look what, look, look what he's given me. And they become very, very prideful in the gifts that God has given them as if they've earned as, as if they've 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 earned them themselves as if as if they've they've you know i've bestowed these gifts upon myself i've bestowed whatever talents i have upon me and they fail to recognize that it really does come from the lord it's not it's not directly from them people tend also tend to think whenever you talk about gifts of the lord and as we go through this list a little bit later on you're going to find that some of these are going to be yours you're going to look and go, wow that that's, that that that's where i am I, I, that's me right there But there's a tendency to want to think everybody else should have the same gift that you have. And you want to be able to, you say, well, maybe maybe I have the gift of giving, so everybody else should be a giver. Or I have the gift of ministry, so everybody else should be a minister. Or I have the gift of teaching, so you want to make everybody else just like you are. And that's not what Paul's intention is here. He says we're all different. We all have different gifts, but it's, it's for the benefit of everybody. Sometimes someone has the gift of evangelism. And they want to think, well, everybody should be an evangelist. And if a pastor, and oftentimes the pastor will have the gift of evangelism, evangelism, and he wants to force everybody to do just what he does and live just the way that he lives and knock on doors and share Christ at the grocery store and do all that thing. And other people might go, well, that's not my gift. I, I have a different gift. And, it, and we have to remember that it's, it's about your relationship with the Lord. And it's not about you looking at somebody else and telling them what they should be doing. It's about you looking at the Lord going, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Lord, am, am I honoring you with the gifts and the talents that you've given me. Now, a couple things to rem- remember before we get a little farther into this. Especially when it comes about the gifts of God. Number one, they're gifts. They were given to you. You didn't earn them. They're not a result. Of, you were born with them. There, there's gifts that God has. Doesn't mean you don't develop them. Doesn't mean you don't practice them. Doesn't mean that you can't uh, you know, develop them and become better at them. You were born with them. You ever met somebody with a musical gift and they're just musically gifted? They they were certainly. They can become better and and more practical and more fluent in their gift. But they have a. You you, you say it. Oh, they're gifted. They just have this gift that they just have. And and not that anybody can't learn music. But you know who those people are. go Wow, their voice is just gifted. It's just it's from God. Yes, it, it can be it can be refined and made better. But it is just a gift from God. It's something God gave you. Number two, they're from God. God gifts them to you. They're gifts. They're given to you, and they come from here. On a side note, spiritual giftedness does not mean spiritual maturity. Just because someone is gifted spiritually doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden spiritually mature. There's many, many people who have tremendous giftings, but they are very, very immature when it comes to the things of the Lord. They're very immature when it comes. It's it's possible to have these enormous gifts, these unbelievable gifts, but have your life a complete wreck at the same time. It's certainly possible to be gifted in some way, but yet you look at the person's life, and they're not following the Lord at all. They're not using their gift for the Lord. Yes, they have a gift from God, and we can even recognize as a gift. We go, your life is a mess. The maturity level—it's not there. When God looks for people to lead His church and to use their gifts in His church and to, to, to bless the body of Christ, it's not necessarily the giftedness that He looks for; it's the maturity. It's the maturity. If you have a gift, you have to mature in the Lord. If you want to use your gift in the body of Christ, if you want to do those things, you have to mature. That's what the Lord's looking for, the maturity. God can give the gift in a moment. He can can bestow it upon you at any time. But maturity and character are built in your daily relationship with the Lord. It's in your one-on-one time. It's as you study the Word and you allow the Word to change you. And that's when God can say, I'm going to use those gifts now. I'm going to use them. The New Testament teaches on the gifts of God in other places. I recognize that. Uh, but we're not going to go all over the New Testament. We're not going to First Corinthians 12 and 14 and Ephesians 4. We're not going to go all over there this morning. As we always do, we're going to try to stay focused on our scripture that's before us. We don't want to get, into con- get out of context and get somewhere where Paul isn't intending for us to go in his letter to the Romans. So we're going to stay here this morning. But I am aware there's other places and I'm aware that it, it talks about those things. At the end of verse 3, Paul tells us to think of ourselves soberly. Think soberly of yourself. Don't be too high-minded. And here's what soberly means. It means to have understanding about practical matters and thus be able to act sensibly. It means to have sound judgment, to be sensible. It means realizing that the things I have in life, the blessings that I have received, the gifts, the talents that God has bestowed on me, they're just that. They're from him. They're not from me. Recognizing that they come from him. It means we understand that's where our gifts and talents come from. They're not just something you created. You haven't haven't just brought them upon yourself. God's given them to you. But with the gift comes the obligation to develop them. And to learn how to use them. And to get smarter with them. And to become more proficient with them. That comes along with the gift. So that you can serve the Lord with them. Now Paul also tells us that we should not think too highly of ourselves. And we should think soberly. But he also says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, because each one of us has been dealt a measure of faith. What does that mean? What does it mean? It's, it means that God has given you, each one of you, all of the faith that you need that's contained within you to accomplish what he's created you to accomplish. You have the faith that you need to accomplish to live through the things that he's called you or he will call you to live through. You're not going to lack on any faith. But don't start thinking, well, so-and-so has more faith than I do. Or maybe I don't have as much faith as that person. Or no, you have all, you know, I don't have that much faith. Well, you don't might not need that much faith right now. But faith is also something that we can exercise. It's something that we can get stronger at. It's something that we can get better at. Don't think that there's no need to exercise or to increase your faith either because it, your faith can be strengthened and it can be exercised. Hopefully, if you've been walking with the Lord any, any, any length of time at all, you can look and say, today my faith is greater than it was when I got saved. Hopefully you can, your faith has continued to grow. It doesn't mean that you didn't have it when you got saved. He's given you all that you need, but hopefully you can say, I didn't have that much faith back then, but today I have that that much faith. And in case you're wondering, you say, Rob, well, I could use a little more faith. I'm I'm a little low in the faith meter, faith tank today. I could use a little more. Well, Romans 10, 17, when we studied it, it says this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to exercise your faith? Read the word of God. You want to get more faith? Study God's word and then use and apply what you learn in God's word, and it will increase your faith to where it needs to be oftentimes we look at martyrs they're martyred their lives are taken for their faith and you read the stories and you go I don't know I could never do that and you put yourself in the story well if they had my wife and my kids and they threatened to you know they let them go and I I could never do that well you don't need that faith right now you don't need that much no one's got a gun to your head right now but the day that someone does have a gun to your head if God would so allow that to happen you will have all the faith that you need to stay faithful to to what he's called you to do you don't need that faith right now. That's why you don't have it. But if you need it, it's already inside of you. Continue to build it and continue to exercise it for him. That's what Paul's saying. Don't make it, don't make it into be one of these things, well, you just have more faith than I do. No, that's not true at all. We all had the same amount of faith to come to Christ. Some of us are just exercising it more. We're learning more. We're growing more. We're taking the word of God and we're living it and our faith become, and our faith begins to grow. I want to tell you an illustration about faith this is a very personal one. Most of you guys know, before I became a pastor, I was in law enforcement. And, before, and while in law enforcement, one of the things I did was uh, I was, I was a, a SWAT operator. I was on the SWAT team. And one of the things on the SWAT team does is they have these shields. You ever watch the shows where they have these shields, and they go into a room, and they have these big shields in front of them, right? Well, we would train, and we would train, and, and different, different people at different times would hold the shield. They'd be the first guy in the door, and you have this shield. And always in the back of my head, I wondered, would this thing really stop a bullet? I mean, how many bullets would it really stop? Is it, I mean, they, they tell you it's a ballistic shield. It says it's a ballistic shield, but you always got to wonder, would it really work? But you know what happened one day? One day we were out on the range, and those ballistic shields have an expiration date. Now, I think it's just so that you'll buy more, but they expire. One day, they all of a sudden, they expire like a ballistic vest, and the fibers can break down and things like that. So we took our ballistic shield and we put it down range and we thought, we're going to shoot this thing up. I want to see if this thing will really stop a bullet. So we got all the different calibers that we had and, and we sat it down range and we shot it about, I'd say about 20 times, about 20 to 25 times, all different calibers. And then, we, and then I, I walked down range and I grabbed this thing and it was like a wet noodle. I mean, it was just, it, was, it, it had lost all of its rigidity, but it was, you know, it was just flimsy. And I looked at it, you know, not one bullet penetrated the shield. Well, the next time I held that shield, do you think my faith was increased in it? Sure it was. This thing really works. How do you know? Because it was tested. And faith that is tested can be trusted. That's what it means walking with the Lord. Your faith will get tested and tested and tested, but it's only showing you that now it can be trusted. Every time I held that ballistic shield after that, I was good. I, I, wasn't, I, was, now I was worried about my feet because it didn't go down far enough. There's nothing down there. But I trusted the shield to stop the bullets. And it's the, same, it's, it's the same principle. Look at verse 4. Paul tells us why we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, the Christian family is like a body. The church, it's like your human body. It's a whole group of different things, a group of different entities, all brought together for one common goal. It's your whole body's working together to make you who you are. Every part of your body has to do its part. What happens when one part of your body doesn't do its part? You go to the doctor to try to get it fixed. It means you're sick. There's something off. I have the flu. I have a cold. Something's going on. My body's, uh, one part of me is not working. And like the church, all the parts of your body are very different, aren't they? All of them are very different. Uh, You have toenails, fingernails, eyeballs, hair, skin, organs. They're all different, but they all have a very, very important role. What if the toenail was to think, I think the whole body should be a toenail? And all you had was one long, uncut toenail, and that was you walking around. That would be ridiculous looking. It'd be disgusting, but that's not how it works the toenail has a purpose or how silly would it be the eyeball to criticize the toenail because the toenail is not an eyeball or how ha- it eyeballs that you put inside your shoes that wouldn't make any sense but the it's all designed to work individually each part is only one part of, bo- of the body and there's diversity in your body it's all different There's also unity within the body. Notice how your body works together. Notice how your systems work together. How does your right hand know and your left hand and your mind sends a signal and you pick something up and you put something down. Something's hot. You pull your hand away from it. It's all working together in unity. But sometimes in the body of Christ, we get out of whack and we realize, I don't want to be this part. I want to be a different part. I want, to be, I, want to be, I want to be like the pastor. I want to be the mouth of the church. I want to get up there and speak every week. Or I want to do this, or I don't want to do that part. No, that's not the way that it's supposed to work. We're all supposed to work together, understanding that each part of the body is not more important than the other. It's not like the toenail is of complete insignificance. It has a purpose. It's not like... And every, every part of you can't be the mouth. I heard it illustrated this way. I read it illustrated this way, actually. Brother Hammer was appointed to preside over the Master Tool Convention. Brother Screwdriver objected, saying, Brother Hammer, you're too noisy to preside over this meeting. You're always driving home your point, always nailing people. I call for your registration immediately. Brother Hammer responded, Well, what about you, Brother Screwdriver? All you ever do is spin around in circles. Well, that may be true, said Brother Screwdriver, but at least I'm not like Brother Plain. His work is so surface, so shallow. What right does he have to even be here? Well, if you're kicking me out, protested Brother Plain, what about Brother Ruler? He thinks he's always right, measuring everyone else by his standard. Well, if you're going to come down on me, argued Brother Ruler, what about Brother Pliers? He needs to get a grip. (laughs) At least I don't rub people the wrong way, said Brother Pliers, staring at Brother Sandpaper. (laughs) Just then, the master craftsman walked in, and he used each tool at the perfect time And he created an object of great beauty. You see, each tool on its own is just a tool. But when the master craftsman, that being the Lord, puts it all together and says, I'm going to do something, I'm going to make something, it's important that we understand what God's called us to do, how it all works. Now Paul moves here from here into the gifts or the elements in the body of Christ. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministry. He who teaches in teaching, exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Before we look at these gifts individually, I want you to notice some truths in verse 6. Number one, they're gifts, and they're not earned. Don't be prideful about them. The things that God has given you, the things that you have the ability to do, don't be prideful and think they came from the Lord. Number two, you don't get to pick what your gift is. You don't, you don't get to decide. You don't get to choose. You might have more than one, or you might be better at one than the other, or you, you, you don't get to pick. And some people will have more than one, but you're all going to have at least one here, probably more than one. Which, which is yours? When it comes to your gifts, as we are going to go over these, chances are you're probably already using them in some form or another doesn't mean you're using them for the church but chances are those are the things that you like to do it's it's the things that god has given you the things that you that are that you're moved by not everybody's going to have the same gift not everyone's going to be the same these gifts are based are, are to, and they're they're to be used notice it says they in verse six they're to be used they're not so you can put them on the shelf and store them somewhere for some future time they're to be used and now before we get into it, i want to share something else with you when it talks about the gifts of the lord here Sometimes these gifts are given for a moment in a particular circumstance. And sometimes they're a characteristic or a role or an office that somebody's going to fill in the church. Let me give you an example. Let's pretend that you are going through Martin's and you have been coming to church for a year or two. You're starting to read your Bible, you're getting some information. And as you come to the cashier, you realize she's crying, she's upset, she's having a rough day, there's something going on inside of her that's, that's just, it's just, it's just eating her up. But you realize, well, I don't really know that much about the Bible, and I don't really want to say anything, I don't really want to encourage her, I really don't know what to say. And you begin to start praying, Lord, should I say something, or shouldn't I say something? Should I just, maybe she'll just ring up my groceries and I can leave. And then as you go a little further, you realize, no, she, she really needs something. She, she's, really, she's really moved by it. There's something going on in her life. So all of a sudden, you begin to share something you recently learned in the scriptures. And all of a sudden, out of your mouth becomes this unbelievable, brief little message of, of four or five sentences where you, you've taught her something. You've showed her something. You've opened her eyes to the ways of the Lord. And you realize, you know what? I'm amazed at what I just said. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. I couldn't have put that together had I thought about it. And you realize, I just, the Lord just you gave me the gift of teaching to teach her something about the Lord in that particular moment. It's for, it's for a moment. But just because that moment happens, just because he gives you that moment of teaching, it doesn't mean all of a sudden you're supposed to be a pastor or a ladies minister, or start a home Bible study. Just because it happens occasionally, on an on occasional basis, doesn't mean that's, all, that's what I have to do for the rest of my life. It could be just something he's given to you for that moment at that time so he could minister to her through you. That's the way the Lord works. Understand something when it comes to gifts. They're his people. He wants to use his people to minister to his people. Think about that. He wants to use you and me to minister to the his people we have to be willing to let him do that he'll do the work he gives the gifts he makes the preparation he handles all the details what do we need to do to be obedient to prepare you'd be willing you know be willing to talk when he but we'd be willing to open your mouth maybe not be so shy just be willing to let him speak through you other times sometimes these gifts become more of a role for instance like the gift of teaching I believe the Lord has given me the gift of teaching. It doesn't mean that in, 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 before I began teaching as a pastor, I was teaching in many other venues. It doesn't mean that somebody with the gift of teaching has to be a pastor. It just means that maybe the gift of teaching is going to be a teacher. They're going to be a Sunday school teacher. They're going to lead a men's ministry. They're going to teach a home Bible study. They're going to teach their family because that's the first place that guys teach. They're going to, they're going to, it it just because it's being, God has given it to you doesn't mean it's necessarily being used right here at church every Sunday. It just means that God has given it to you. The Lord uses many different teachers besides just me as the pastor. Do you understand the difference? How sometimes the Lord will give you that gift, that, that, that insight, that wisdom, that you know, maybe, maybe that mercy, whatever you need for the moment, for the situation, and sometimes you can meet somebody, and that's the, you should realize that that's not just their gift for the moment; that's their gift for life. They're they're using that gift. They're, that's something. That's who they are. That's the, that's a role that they're occupying. So sometimes it's it's either one of those things. So let's look at some of these gifts. These Paul talks about these seven gifts: prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving. Leading and mercy. Now, notice I said it before, but there's no word spiritual here. We haven't read the word spiritual gifts. Many people refer to this as spiritual gifts, but that's not what Paul's referring to here. He, he, he's, it's not there. Um, verse 6 If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. The, the word prophecy has two meanings it means to speak forth, to tell people, it means to foretell, to tell somebody something before it happens it means both things sometimes Christians go well I believe the speak forth part that's what you do when you teach the Bible you're speaking forth well wouldn't that be teaching well it could be there's an overlap there but speaking forth the truths of God but it also means to tell somebody to prophesy something means to tell somebody something before it happens now I don't believe and I and I believe that gift is valid today I don't believe in the sense of somebody is going to hold the office of a prophet and prophesy new information about God. I believe we have all the information we need about the Lord and about Jesus Christ right here in the book that he wrote. But I do believe, and I've seen it work in my life on many occasions, where someone has said something to me, and God has been doing something they didn't know about, and then God took their word of prophecy, their word of insight, and used it to confirm something that God was already doing in my life. When it comes to the guys that are going to say, I'm the prophet, let me tell you about my future. When some, Occasionally someone will come up to me and they'll say, I have a word from the Lord from you. And I'll say, all right, go ahead, tell me what it is. And they'll go on to tell me whatever. And what do you think? Well, I don't, I don't think anything of it. I'm just going to stick it in the back of my head and see what God does. Because I talked to him this morning and he didn't tell me that. So if he tells me that, then we'll know that it's confirmed it's a word from the Lord. If not, then we're just going to let it go by the wayside. I think that someone, some of these guys that want to say, well, let me, give you, let me tell you what God's going to do with your life. Let me tell you what God's going to lead you. Let me tell you what God wants to use you for. I would say be very, very careful. Because I think the first person God wants to tell about your life is you. Is you. He wants to talk to you about your life, not me about your life. People will say, well, what do you think I should do? And I will sell people, Here's, I think you should seek the Lord. And I think you should pray. And I think you should fast until you get direction. Now, let me give you my worldly counsel. And you can take that or leave it however you want. But also don't diminish the fact that God can give somebody a miraculous word for you that you need to hear at the right time, at the right moment. It doesn't mean that person is a prophet and we need to start putting an initial before their name and then just start traveling around the country selling out stadiums because they're going to tell everybody. Because remember something, prophets from the Lord, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. It'll always come to pass. If it doesn't come to pass, you know, that's, the, that's the best test. Is it? And we're told to test them. If somebody says, well, I have a word from the Lord from you. Okay, great. And it doesn't come to pass. You know what? It wasn't from the Lord. It was as simple as that. It wasn't, in the Old Testament days, if a prophet did that, they were stoned. That's how serious it was. And today, it's easy because guys will travel in and out of, in and out of cities. And guess what? They'll prophesy, and then they're gone. And no one ever goes back and says, what about this? That's a fault in our culture. We don't even do that with our politicians half the time. But you said... You, no one holds anybody accountable for what, the, what they say. They just, oh yeah, great, prophet's from the Lord, that's what I'm going to do. I know people that have been messed up by prophets because the prophet has prophesied something in their life and they felt that now they have to earn and achieve what the Lord has said or what the prophet has said, not necessarily the Lord. And it's, it's messed them up that way. Listen, God wants to tell you what he wants to do with your life first. Before and foremost, anybody else. He will use other people to confirm what he's doing in your life. I assure you of that. Before I came to Cumberland, he used people in my life to confirm that I was called to be a pastor, that I was called to be a teacher, that I was called to do this. He used, he used people that would say, yes, I see this calling in your life. But those weren't the callings that moved me to Cumberland. It, it, it wouldn't matter if 100 people said, you need to come start a church. No, I don't. Not until the Lord says. People said, we need to get a bigger building. You know, seating is getting tight. You need... Not until the Lord says. When the Lord will move us in that direction when the time's right. We need to go to two services. No, not till God says. Not until the Lord moves in that direction. There's still seats available. We're not, we're not completely full. So it's, it's about, don't, don't discount prophecy as being some crazy Pentecostal thing. But also, don't look to it to lead your life. Look to the scriptures and your personal relationship with him. And take it as a way to confirm what God is doing in your life. Now he says ministry. Or ministry, let us use our ministry. We have made ministry or minister into a title. He's a minister. She's a minister. Oh, I want to be a minister. I'm I'm a minister. You're a minister. Do you know what the word ministry means? It means this. It's one of the Greek words for, and you can circle it and write it if you want next to it, servant. Servant. That's what a minister is, is a servant. It's someone who says, I will serve the people. I will serve them. The gift of ministry is simply serving the body of Christ in practical ways. It's the person who cleans the bathrooms. It's the person who sets the, make, who, somebody made the coffee that you guys have, that you guys got to enjoy this morning. Somebody cuts the grass. Somebody cleans the parking lot. Somebody will give you a ride to your doctor's appointment if you need one. Someone will make you a meal if you can't cook for yourself. Someone will pick you up and bring you to church if you don't have a ride. That's ministry. It's, and, and people look at that and go, no, no, that's just, that's just small stuff. I want bigger stuff. No, one's not more important than the other. You got to get that through your head. If you're picking up somebody and bringing them to church, that's, you, get, you get the same credit I get for standing here teaching a message. It's not like I get more credit in heaven because I'm doing what, what God called me to do. It's just the, If I'm not supposed to be teaching, then I'm getting less credit in heaven. It wouldn't matter how many people were coming at the, coming to the church. Ministry is a very, very important. Somebody raked the rocks out this week. That's ministry. They saw something that needed to happen. They raked it. It was done. And then it just, it just, it just took place. When you walk to the parking lot, you pick up a piece of garbage. Oh, there's, I'm gonna throw it in the garbage can. It's it's ministry. It's just, it's just doing what needs to be done to serve the body of Christ in a practical way. Can you imagine if no one cleaned the bathrooms? Every week you came in here, I gotta go to the bathroom. You go, I ain't going to the bathroom there. I go to this church, but I gotta hold hold it for two hours because I won't go in there. But instead you can go in the bathroom and use the bathroom. If, If the parking lot was a mess, you know, it's ministry. It's just practically serving the body of Christ. In, in, in any way that you can, and one role is not more important than another, and there's teaching, he who teaches in teaching, what's teaching, it's giving instruction, that's what I'm doing, I'm, te- I'm taking God's word, we're going to cover, you know, uh, five verses this morning, I'm taking, and I'm telling, him, telling you how to apply it to your life, I'm telling you what it means, what, it, what the word means, how does it, what does it look like, how do you apply it to your life, it, and when it comes to the things of God, it's, it's helping people understand something. It's, it's teaching them something new. It's helping them learn something. But again, please don't make the mistake of thinking these gifts only happen in the body of Christ. Many of you are teachers, but there's only one guy up here on Sunday mornings teaching Some of you might be school teachers, you might be teaching, you might be homeschooling mom teaching, you might be teaching at the senior center, you might be teaching wherever. You're going to be doing this in all these different places. Like I said, before I started teaching as a pastor, I was teaching in my law enforcement job. I was a training officer for new police officers. I was teaching them. Before that, I was teaching in my previous job. Teaching is just something that God has, has given me to do. And sometimes you're going to be using those, these gifts and talents outside of the body of Christ. But oftentimes that's preparation for using them inside the body of Christ. What you have to find out is God, am I supposed to transition? Am I supposed to use my gifts? Where can I use my gifts in the body of Christ? And where do you want me to use my gifts in the body of Christ? And he says, who exhorts? He who exhorts an exhortation. If teaching is giving instruction and helping people understand exhortation, what that is, that's telling them to do what you just taught them. That's that's the practical. It's the the encouraging them to get out and do what you were just taught. It's the part of the service where I tell you, you need to do this. You need to live this way. You need to make these changes in your life. You're encouraging them to practice what they've been taught. Both of these are important to live a healthy Christian lifestyle. You've got to be taught. Then you also have to what? do i can't just be a hearer of the word i have to be a doer of the word both of these are necessary if you get them off kilter you know what happens if you do if all you did was taught those who are taught but never exhorted they never get out and do you know what happens to them they become fat sheep they become all it's all coming in i get knowledge coming in information coming in but never living out what i'm being taught I'm, i'm hearing it i'm learning it i can quote it back to you but my life looks nothing like what I'm being taught. You see, you have to get out and do it. The exhortation part is the person says, get out there and do it. And it's the other way around too. If those who are exhorted but never taught the sound truths, the sound doctrine, they become excited, they become active, they'll get involved in everything. But they have no depth. They have no understanding of what they will do and eventually they burn out. And they'll be working in all the wrong ways in all the wrong places. Because we need you here, over here, we need you here, we need you there, we need you here, I'm tired, I'm done, forget it. You see, it's our job, it's your, it's your job to find out, God, where do you want me to serve the body of Christ? Where do you want me to fit in? How is, it, and, and how is it that I can serve you in this fellowship? How is it I can serve you outside of this fellowship? Because remember, the body of Christ is not just our church. It's a much greater thing than just our fellowship, our church. We're a part of the body of Christ, and we are a little body of Christ, but the greater body of Christ is all the believers in Jesus Christ together. Hopefully, you receive both teaching and exhortation here. Hopefully, you hear the word of God taught in a way that you can understand it and you can grow. And then hopefully, you hear my encouragement for you to go out and live it. Go out and take what you've learned and take it into the streets and go live. Let God change you. Now, the end of verse eight, he who gives with liberality. This gift requires liberality. Liberality means generously, to give generously generously in accordance with what you have. It doesn't necessarily mean large amounts. It doesn't mean rich people have the gift of giving and poor people don't. It, it, it's related to how much you give versus how much you keep. It's, how much, it's, not, it's not about a dollar amount. Every Christian has the responsibility to give unto the Lord. But sometimes God pours an inordinate amount of resources into somebody's life. So they can then give that back to the Lord in some form or some way. God then calls these people to give and distribute to the Lord and to, to his kingdom. Perhaps you think of a successful businessman. He, maybe he's, he's doing well in business. He's, he's, he's always working. And when it comes to ministry around the church, he doesn't really have time. He really can't get to church early on Thursday nights. He really can't make it, and, and there's all these things going on, and he really can't make too many of them. But he's at church on, you know, when he needs to be, and he's there. But, and, and somebody with the gift of ministering would look and say, well, you need to be in ministry more. You need to start serving the people. And he says, well, my gift is giving. I, the Lord has blessed me with finances, and, and I'm, I'm supporting what God's doing. His gift is something different. And he, wouldn't, he shouldn't look at somebody and say, well, you need that gift. and No, no, you need that gift. That's the body fighting back and forth. Interesting story about that. Around the, turn of a, around the turn of the century, the late 1800s, a man bought a fledgling business. He had the gift of giving. He said this, Lord, I know it's important to tithe and to give, but as for the profits of my little business, that's as, as what I'm going to make here, I'm just going to give most of them to you. I'm just going to keep what I need. I'm going to give most of what this little business makes, and I'm going to give it to you, Lord. I'll keep some for myself, but you, Lord, will get most of it. All of a sudden, the company began to turn around. It began to grow, and he became a multimillionaire, multi-multimillionaire. He was the founder of Quaker Oats, the same oatmeal that you put on your on your cereal table on your table in the mornings. And for forty years, Henry Crowell gave seventy percent of what he made for forty years owning Quaker Oats. He took horse food and made it into breakfast cereal. That's what it was and he became a multi multi-millionaire but he gave the majority of it to the lord and to the lord's work he started giving to his church and you know what happens pretty soon you got too much to give to the church how do you take million how do you take someone who makes a hundred million dollars a year and say, i'm going to give 10 percent to the church whoa that's 10 million dollars churches that's too much for one church so i got to find other places to give that's that becomes a whole problem in itself do you know that what do you do with it you know how do, I, how do I be generous and give like the Lord's called me to, but with, you know, in a, how do I do that? That becomes a whole problem in themselves. I know, a, I'd like to have that problem. <laughs> I know, I get it. I, me too, I'd like to have it too. The gift of giving is not measured by how much they give, but how much they keep for themselves. You know, oftentimes we get stuck on this 10% tithe thing. 10% tithe isn't in the New Testament. You can't support it with just New Testament scripture. I think it's a great starting point for the Lord. Personally, I give more in my life. I give more to this church, in case you're wondering. I'm not saying, this isn't a giving message. I'm not saying to, to I, don't, I don't want to. I'm not about giving. You guys know that. Our offering boxes in the back. I personally give more than 10% of what I make to our fellowship. Because I'm not stuck on 10%. Because the Lord might want you to give more. He might want you to give less. You might be in a financial situation where you go, Rob, I can't give 10%. If I gave 10%, I wouldn't eat. Just give what you can give. God loves a cheerful giver. You, you be faithful with the little things, and, he'll be, and you'll be given much. Be faithful what he's called you. You say, Rob, I don't even have the gift of giving. We're all called to give to the Lord. But those that are called to those that have that gift, they'll know who they are, and they want to give liberally. They want to give generously to the Lord. Verse, last part of verse 8, middle part of verse 8, he who leads with diligence, uh, leading this gift of leadership, it needs diligence. If you're a leader, you must be Diligent. You must be diligent. Diligent, it means to do something with intense effort and motivation. To continue working on it, to work hard, to do your best, to endeavor. It's easy for leaders to become discouraged. But here, Paul is saying, rather than giving up, rather than feeling like you want to quit, you must persevere, and you must please God with the diligence in your leadership. It's easy to lead when people are following. It's harder to lead when no one's following. But yet if you're still called to that, you keep persevering, you keep doing it. I've watched too many pastors quit their ministry before people started coming to their church or before their church grew as big as they wanted to. They gave up. They didn't continue in what God had called them. They, didn't keep, they, didn't, they, weren't, they weren't happy leading one or two or three. They wanted to lead you know, 100 or 200 or 300. They weren't, they weren't faithful with the little things. It's, you must lead with diligence. He, next, next one is mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This gift needs cheerfulness. Cheerfulness, mercy. It's not giving somebody what they deserve. It, it, it's getting, not getting what you do deserve. Remember, grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is, is not getting something that I do deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. And he says, be cheerful about it. You see, you can show mercy to somebody and be cold and bitter and, and just be mad that they're getting off the hook. And you can, you can do that, but that's not what Paul says. No, someone who has mer- the gift of mercy, they need to do it cheerfully. Now, why does Paul say that? Because it was happening uncheerfully. It was happening in bitterness. It was happening in hatred. It was happening in the, just the opposite. Paul's saying it needs to be done cheerfully. Again. This is not an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts. There's other places in scripture, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 that talk about the gifts from God. And we will address those places as we come across them. We'll certainly talk about them. Uh, None of those lists are an exhaustive list of all the gifts from God. Some are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, some are gifts, none of it is an exhaustive list. So what Paul's telling us this morning is this. He says it's your reasonable service to offer yourself to the Lord. He's saying, you've all been given different gifts by the Lord. Don't be prideful about your gifts, but these gifts are for you to glorify God. Individually, and so that you can accomplish God's will for your life. Corporately, so that you can be a blessing to the body of Christ. But you have a choice. You see, I don't have to use my gifts for the Lord. I can use my gifts for me. I can use my gifts for, to, serve, to, to serve my own needs and my own wants and my own desires. I can do that. But it's my prayer that we would all recognize what our gifts are. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. You go, I didn't know I had a gift. You do. One of those. I can guarantee at least one, probably more than one. You need to start developing. You start looking at, how, Lord, how can I use these for you? You might even find that you're already using them. And you're already using them for the Lord in some way. That's great. But if you're not, are you? Are they available to you? It's my prayer that we recognize our gifts, honor the Lord with our gifts, and that we be a blessing to those around us with our gifts. And remember, there's not one gift more important than another. There's not one person in the body of Christ more important than another. I am not more important than you are to the Lord. Remember that. I might be the guy here on Sunday mornings and on Thursday nights, but you're just as important, important to him. There's no angels that wake up over my bed in the morning when I get up. I don't, my alarm clock goes off just like yours does. There's no angel that flies around my room that touches me and says, it's time to rise. You know, it doesn't happen that way. I wake up cranky and grumpy and tired just like you do. Let's pray. Father, Lord, these gifts... But we don't want to be confused by them. But we want to be encouraged by them. We want to know that you've planted them inside of us. That you've got work for us to do. And you've given us the tools that we need. And in your hands, Lord, we can accomplish much. So, Father, I pray that each person here would seek you to determine what their gifts are. And then they would seek you how to use it inside the church, outside of the church. That we could be a blessing to those around us. Not a burden. Not requiring people to have the same gift we do. But recognizing the gifts in other people's life as well. Noticing that we all work together in unity to bring glory to you. Notice that it's you that we want to draw the attention to. Not ourselves. Lord, may we not become prideful if we've accomplished much for your name. May we not be prideful. May we just realize it's because you've allowed us to. It's because you've worked through us in a way that we couldn't have done on our own. Lord, may you get all the glory for our gifts, and the work that you're doing in our life. Even when we minister to others, Lord, may you get the glory. May we not take one little bit of it we may we realize you've you're the one that has equipped us to be able to help others. So God, thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.